and thank you for tuning in today. We trust you are well, along with your family. And I want to believe that you have seen God's grace on your behalf and your loved ones. Equally so, I pray that whatever is still yet to come your way, whatever is still yet to come your loved one's way, your faith will not fail, that you will see and experience God's sufficiency for you, that God in this time will prove closer to you than he has been before, that the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ what he has done to redeem you will be your daily reality. That God will bless you with good health. That God will revive your life, revive your business, revive your marriage. That you will indeed see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I want to encourage you that even as you ponder the things that are happening or have happened in your life. Remember others as well. And I would like to ask you to take a moment to pray for someone that you know. Maybe they have a business that's struggling. Maybe they are struggling physically, their health. Maybe they have lost a loved one. Maybe their marriage is in turmoil. Maybe they are children. Maybe they are just at crossroads of life and they just need prayer, they need a friend, they need someone they can lean on, they need a prayer. I'm personally currently challenged to pray for the forgotten group, our youth. You read in the media that young people are committing suicide, young people are feeling lost you know, it's amazing that younger people feel not understood even in the normalities of day-to-day -day life. You can imagine the kind of things that they are going through. What about those that are already in drugs? What about those who are living in abusive families where there's always domestic violence and you know, all the fiascos that go with dysfunctional homes. I really want us to take them before God in prayer. And if you can, whenever you can, think of a young person that you can send a message of encouragement to. A young person you can mentor through this time. A young person you can from a distance take their hand virtually and say, come along. If you need someone to talk to, I'm here. Can I just pray for a moment? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the youth of our nation, Lord. For the teenagers, for the young adults, Lord. For those that at this time may not necessarily be providing essential services, may not necessarily be in the forefront of everything, but as a result may actually be marginalized, Lord, and remain on the periphery, Lord, of the help that they may also be needing, Lord. I pray that you strengthen our young people, that you prove sufficient for them, that you strengthen their resolve to live for you despite the challenges of this life, Lord. That you fill them with hope of a better future. That you fill them with a sense of purpose and destiny, Lord. That in their restricted places, they will find purpose still, that they will find you, they will find your leading. The Bible says the young man Samuel ministered in the presence of the Lord. May they minister in your presence as you minister to them, Lord. Draw them to you and give them a firm stance and a firm hope in a future that you have for them. We thank you for their lives, Lord, and we bring them before you 
We bring them before you, Lord, as our siblings, as our children, as the future of our nation, Lord. We commit them to your word of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for joining us. I trust you had someone you could pray for. This morning, I want to take us on a journey, a journey that has to do with how people may respond to a message when there is restrictions to their lives or maybe a message from someone whose life is restricted. So I want you to imagine yourself being part of a church and one day you receive a letter from someone that you, you have heard about and you've also heard that this person is in prison awaiting trial and yet, yet in his letter he seems resolute about his purpose, his, his destiny in God despite being imprisoned. For some reason he believes and, and, and he has this tenacity about him that says regardless of my current situation, I believe there's hope, I believe there's destiny, I believe I have a purpose to live out through this imprisonment. And in his letter, this person writes, I want to read from Colossians 2 from verse 1. He says, now imagine you are part of this church and this church is read in your letter, this letter is read in your church. It says, for I want you to know how great I struggle for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then he, the letter continues. They read other things about how Christ is supreme, about how we have fullness in Christ. And you're sitting there, you're listening to this reading. In Colossians 4, from verse 2, the letter continues. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Now you've heard this phrase several times now the mystery of christ or the mystery of god that is christ in you the hope of glory and you sit in there you're thinking wow christ in me is the mystery of god and yet he's the hope of glory and then the reader reads this part I want to repeat, it says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, on account of which, of which I, I am restricted, I have lost my liberties, my freedom is, li is, is, is limited. And suddenly, 
you hear these words, he points out, he admonishes whoever the leadership of the church is to speak to you. He says in Colossians 4.17, tell Archippus. So obviously your name is not Archippus. But whoever your name is, Thomas, James, Tando, whoever your name is. He says, tell Tando or tell Tab that he must see to it that he completes the ministry that the Lord has entrusted to him. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. Now, here's a man who has his own liberties restricted. Here's a man who is in prison. Now, he's, he's writing to you. He, he's talking to you in your own context. He says, I, in my context, I have a desire to fulfill what you I am supposed to fulfill. And I want to encourage you where you are. You are not in the same conditions that I am. You are not imprisoned. You are not bound in chains. But I want to say to you, you also have a purpose. My chains may have physically limited me, but they have not limited my purpose. They have not limited my ideas. They have not limited my faith. And I want to encourage you that you also not give into excuses. Excuses have expired. Do what you need to do to fulfill your purpose. But yet still, imagine if you actually knew this person, maybe you sat with him in your lounge, maybe you shared a meal with, maybe they came and visited your home, maybe they have visited your church, and they write a letter. And this letter seems more personal to you because now you know the guy. And I want to read from Philippians from chapter 1, reading from verse 3, he says, I give thanks to my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in my every prayer for all of you, making the prayer with joy. He says, I pray for you joyfully because of your partnership, your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, convinced of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will finish it until the day of Christ. And as you hear these words, you start pondering that, wow. So there is something that God has started in me. I, I have always thought, why am I stirred to think of greater things? Why do I always think my life must matter? I must count for something. Why do I always believe that there's something greater for me? I'm not just here to pass by, but I'm here to live a legacy. I'm a history maker. Why have I had this thing? And suddenly you realize that the reason you have that stirring in your heart is because God has started a good work in you and he's not about to give up. And you are therefore encouraged not to give up on that good work. He says God will complete that work. And so it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment. So this guy is writing in prison. And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you are, share, are sharing in the grace with me. 
For God is my witness that I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in discernment, so that you may approve what is superior, in order that you may be sincere and blameless in the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have happened instead for the progress of the gospel. I mean, that makes you shudder a bit that this guy, he says, these unfortunate circumstances, this trial that he's going through, he says, it's, it has happened to him so that the gospel can advance, the, the, the gospel can progress. He says God is using his unfortunate circumstances to preach his goodness to other people. How is that so? He says, my imprisonment in Christ has become known in the whole praetorium and to all the rest in Caesar's house. And most of the brothers now are trusting God because of my imprisonment. They even dare to speak more, to preach God boldly the word of God without fear. Some, even because of envy and strife, preach Christ, but some also preach out of goodwill. The latter do so from love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking to raise up more affliction for me in my imprisonment. So he says, the things can get worse. Nevertheless, he says, what is the result? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. So this man seems to say it doesn't matter what the conditions are that he finds himself in. He, he doesn't seem so concerned about his well-being. He's concerned about is what I'm going through bringing the goodness of God to others. Are those who are observing me going through this getting encouraged by me, by how I, I, I handle my trials and my tribulations? Are people looking at me and seeing the hope I seem to possess, the joy that I seem to have of my salvation despite what I'm going through? Are there people seeing this and saying, whatever this man has, I want to have. For I know that this will turn out to, out to me for deliverance through your prayer and the support of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my eager expectation and hope that I will be put to shame in nothing, but with all boldness, even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether through life or through death. This man is challenging you. You sit in there, you thinking, this man, would he dare die? Would he dare live just so that Christ may be glorified? And suddenly, you're thinking of yourself. You're thinking, I've never thought of living for Jesus to the extent that whatever comes my way doesn't really matter. I've never thought of myself as one who has an ideal to live for and an ideal to die for. And this ideal is a person. And his glory consumes me to the point that whatever comes, whatever people say, whatever I go through, I am confident that I will not be shamed. And despite whatever happens, whether I live or I die, I belong to this man, Jesus Christ. 
For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if it is to live in the flesh, if that will be a fruitful work for me, what will I prefer to do? I'm hard pressed between two options. I have a desire to die and be with Christ for this will be much better for me. But to stay in this flesh is more necessary for you who are reading this letter. Because I'm convinced of this that I know that I will remain to continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. So this man says, in as much as in my situation, I know if I died, I would be happy because I will have no regrets. I would have never shamed Christ in any way. I, I, I would, not, would not have done something to bring dishonor to his name. But nonetheless, as much as I would love to be out of this body and in, in his presence, I feel that I still wish to, to mentor others, to help them in their faith, to take them through. I'm not concerned just about my purpose. I'm concerned about theirs as well. And so what shall I choose? I think it would be worthy to remain so that you can be proud of me and increase in Christ Jesus Christ because of me being avail, availing myself to you. Only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, he says to you. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent and I only hear of your circumstances, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one soul contending side by side for the faith of the gospel and not letting yourself be intimidated in anything by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction to them, but of your salvation and this salvation from God. Because to you, you have been graciously granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer on his behalf. What do you make of those words? As you see there, he says, you have been graciously, grace has, grace has been apportioned to you, not only to just believe in Christ, to suffer for him. And this suffering can come in many forms, maybe in opposition, maybe in, in persecution, in, in, in whatever circumstances. He says, you have heard that I've, I have the same struggle and you have seen and now I'm, I'm encouraging you to learn from me. What a man, what a believer. The man, Paul, he is a man who has lived through persecution, a man who has lived through all forms of restriction. One moment he was in prison in stocks. Another moment, he's in house arrest. Another moment, he's beaten. This man has seen beyond what you and I can see. Beyond what you and I in our short lives will go through. But he remains purposeful. He says in Philippians 3, when you read from verse 7, he says, Now all these things that whatsoever was profit to me was gained to me, and now count it loss for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus. He says, all these things. And this was a man who, who, who was highly educated. He, he, he was highly influential. He was not poor, you know, in the strictest sense of the word. He was a man who was well-to-do at every aspect. But he had come to a place where Christ and knowing him was his greatest passion, his greatest obsession. And he says, oh, uh, all these things 
And I'll count them down, I count them lost for the excellency of knowing him, knowing his supremacy. He says, I want to know. He says, I have a purpose in my heart. I have set my heart on a course to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and be found in him. Not having a, a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that is by faith in Christ Jesus. He says, whatever was, I forget what lies behind. My failures, my, my successes, says, I press on towards the price for which Christ laid hold of me. I press on towards the, the, the heavenward price. And this man epitomizes, he personifies purpose beyond restraint and restrictions. And that's what I want to talk to us this morning. I don't know what you hear if you read that letter of a man who defied odds, who defied restrictions, limitations, restraints, kept purpose in his heart, however small the space was, however big the space of expressing his liberties was, he kept a purpose life. He says, I know what is to have plenty. I know what is to be abased, but still I'm content. I'm a man of purpose. So I just want to encourage us on a topic that I trust we can cover few aspects of it this week and hopefully finish off some next week. Purpose beyond restraints and restrictions. Many people like myself and yourself feel a deep sense of purposelessness because they often equate purpose with remuneration. They think being paid for what you do or the service you provide equals to purpose. But that cannot be far from the truth. Many people work because they are enslaved, not because they are living out a purpose. Many people live, or rather they work to, to earn a living. They do not necessarily have a sense of a vocation, a sense of a destiny. Actually, most people who earn a lot of money tend to hate their jobs because their jobs actually take them from their purpose. Just to put a balance, you may, in the course of fulfilling your purpose, be paid. I'm not negating that. But that does not mean that remuneration is the measure of a purposeful life. Other people equate purpose with visible results. So they think, if I am purposeful, the things that I do must produce evident results in the eminent time, in the now. But purpose is often beyond, it is in the now and beyond us, beyond our generation. It is generational. It's a legacy thing. And sometimes it's not visible. That is why the, the, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary Day, he died as an outcome of purpose. But the results are perpetual. We are here as a result of living out that purpose. Purpose is perpetual. Purpose will, as I said, have rewards. But contrary to ambition and aspirations, purpose has rewards that are temporal and eternal. You know, Peter asked Jesus at one point, he said, what about us who have left homes, brothers and, and sisters and 
businesses to follow you what is in it for us when we follow you when we we, we we are sold out to this purpose what is in it for us and jesus says you will receive all those things in this life and in the life to come and so i've I, I, i've taken a simple definitions for us to use to be on the same page for purpose think of it this way as being what you are meant to be and to do that's how simple i can think of it and for restraint think of it as being internal and external conditions that hold you back these can be self-imposed or beyond your control these are restraints that can either be positive or negative and on restrictions my simple definition will be legal rules regulating regulating your freedoms or your liberties so for instance if it's locked down you classify that the words may be used interchangeably but for the context that we want to uh, share into restrictions are defined as any legal rules you know that may restrict your freedom or your purpose let me start off there for by saying purpose in this context as i said it is what you are meant to be and to do should emanate from an understanding that you did not create yourself and therefore you don't give yourself your own purpose that is simply ambition and aspiration therefore we can think of purpose solely as divine purpose in our context and so i want to highlight even before i i, I go into the different aspects of encouraging us to living living our lives purposefully beyond our current and future restraints and restrictions i want to highlight few elements of of divine purpose and i say few because there's a lot of things we can talk about god's divine purpose for our lives but i just want to highlight that when when i highlight these things and you think about your own purpose my intention is that you think of them and ask yourself that whatever i consider a divine purpose does it adhere to at least few of what it has been mentioned so here's what i think are the characteristics virtues qualities of a divine purpose number one it has god's glory as it its end in other words its final goal thinking it is whatever the actions whatever the intentions of our hearts are intended with a purpose of bringing God glory in the end in John 17 verse 4 Jesus says to the father speaking of his own purpose he says i glorified you on earth by completing the task you gave me to do so which means my goal was to bring you glory number 2 divine purpose seeks the advance the advancement of God's kingdom In Matthew 6:10 it says as we pray just as when you pray say may your kingdom come may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so whatever i think is my purpose does it bring god's glory does it advance his kingdom many of us think we serve god but actually we are advancing our own kingdom number 3 it seeks transformation of the individual 
his aspirations and his ambitions. In other words, if the, the purpose is divine, it seeks to transform me, as it is said in Romans 8, that God has destined us to be transformed into the likeness of his son. So when you read in Matthew 11, I'm going to read from 28 to verse 8, Matthew 11, 28 to 30, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and loaded down with burdens, and I will give you rest. Place my yoke on you and learn from me. If we are purposeful people, we are going to learn from the person who lived ultimately a purposeful life. He says, because I am gentle and humble and you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is pleasant and my burden is light. And if we are to be purposeful, we need to declare along with Paul in what he declared in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And where I had already alluded to, in Philippians 3 from verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that is by faith. And he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So, which means my passion is determined by my purpose. And my purpose does not end with just earning few rents or few dollars. But as I pray, as I do the things that I do, I seek to change myself. Number four, divine purpose seeks the welfare of others. In Colossians 2, where we alluded earlier on, Paul says, For I want you to know how great I struggle for you and for those who don't know me, who have not met me yet, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery in which, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we are not purposeful when we're just thinking of ourselves. We are purposeful when our actions, our thinking goes beyond our comforts and our needs, they actually ask the question, what am I living for my children? What am I doing for my community? What am I doing for my nation? What am I doing for the nations of the world? What is my legacy in the greater scheme of things? And lastly for now, that is number five. Divine purpose values eternal rewards. In other words, a person who has divine purpose in their heart, they seek to do things that have eternal value. You don't just do what ends here and like, wow, I've done well. You're thinking, when I stand before God, will this thing count in my favor? Will I get a reward for this thing? Which means even in your actions, be aware that other actions are not rewarded 
others will be. Therefore, a purposeful person thinks of will this be rewarded in all eternity. Listen to what Jesus says as he encourages us in Matthew 6 from verse 19 to verse 21 says do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be. If your treasures are not are just temporarily, you'll think about just making money, just thinking about fame, just having the epaulets and everyone gives you accolades. But if your heart and your minds are where Christ is seated in the heavenly places and you know that your rewards extend into the heavenlies, then your heart will also be there. Paul admonishes us in 1 Corinthians 9, reading from verse 24 to 25, he says, he asks a question, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control. In other words, they put themselves under strict discipline in all things. They do it to receive a perishable crown. But we have to do what we do with a view that we are doing it for an imperishable crown. I don't want to get into the different crowns, but another crown that... Paul talks of in 2 Timothy 4 verse 8, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So, when we think purposefully, we anticipate the crown. We anticipate the, the, the Lord coming and he, we hear him declaring, Behold, I am coming and my reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done, according to how purposefully they have lived, despite the restrictions they may have had, despite the trials and the tribulations, despite having gone through fire, having gone through water, I have a reward. And Christ, Christ promises, he says, to him who overcomes, I will. And then he mentions the rewards. So, as we think of our lives purposefully, we need to add a level of virtue of a life beyond the temporary, of a vision beyond the suffering. We, we need to appropriate the theology that says our temporary afflictions are preparing for us a greater glory so that we can stand even when it is hard. Even when we cry, we do not cry hopelessly. I want us to look at some of the characters that I have gone through one form of confinement or the other. And we look at the different confinement. I want us to look at Joseph. Joseph is one typical purpose-driven person who lived beyond the restrictions and the constraints of his time. Firstly, when his brother sold him, he lost his liberties. He, 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 he moved from his nation to another nation. He was an exile. So maybe you are in another country as we speak. You are a foreigner. Your liberties are limited. 
but you can still be purposeful. He was sold into slavery. He, so now he, he, he's, an, he's in a foreign country. He's, lo, he's sold into slavery. He's a foreign slave, to, to put it plainly. But being a slave did not quench his sense of purpose. His sense of purpose maintained the dreams he had. He still believed, I have, I, I, I'm going to be king. I'm going to be someone that people will come and bow to. Many of us have lost even the dreams we had when we were young. Now, you're looking at your circumstances and you think, whatever. But this was a man, as you read the story, he comes, he goes from one bad situation to, to the other. He, he was in, 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 in Potiphar's house. Peppers kept him. God kept him. The Bible says, and God was with Joseph. And Joseph was aware that God was with him because Joseph maintained a relationship with God as we had we said last week when things stagnate around you don't let your relationship with Jesus stagnate but coming out of Potiphar's house things get worse at least here he was not imprisoned he was just as a house servant he goes now into jail does it get worse than that? But this man still maintains purposeful heart, a purposeful life. So I, I, I want us to glean few things from Joseph's life that we can apply in our lives. And next week we can look into other characters. I want to pick the reading in Genesis chapter 40, verse 3. Now, Joseph here is already in jail. And the Bible speaks of how he was confined, the, 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 the jail guard, in reading uh, from verse 3. This is what the jail guard did. It says, and he put the men who were pharaohs, one was a cupbearer, another one was a baker. If you read the story, the Bible says they, they angered him. They did something that offended Pharaoh and Pharaoh put them in, in jail. And so the jail guard put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. Where Joseph was confined. Reading further. These two men had dreams. They both had dreams that they asked Joseph to interpret. And these are the interpretations. You can read the dreams. Joseph interprets, says, In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and will restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. This was the interpretation for the cupbearer. You will be restored to your former job, to the outside world again. But of note for this man is that he's just going to go back to the same status quo. And then Joseph asks him, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this. Now, we know that the baker, the birds ate the bread they ate, and Joseph simply told him that after three days, you will also come out of prison, but Pharaoh will have you killed. And so it went, as Joseph said. 
So we have these three men with three different outcomes out of their or rather in their constraints, in their restrictions, in their confinement. And this may be typical or it may typify what will happen to some of us beyond lockdown or beyond whatever our sense of confinement and imprisonment is. One, the first guy, the baker, he went out and he died. And so some people will come out of the situation hopeless. They will come despondent, dreams dead, and some potentially may physically die. Joseph, on the other hand, remained under constraints, under restraints, under restrictions. He was still confined. But remember, he was a man of purpose. The other one went on, as I mentioned, to live just in the maintenance of the status quo. So few things I want to highlight about Joseph as I learned it. Number one is that Joseph's restrictive personal circumstances did not stop him from living out his purpose. He continued serving. He continued using his gifts. He didn't wish he was outside. He used his liberties where he was to do what he needed to do. Let me ask you a question. Are you deprived of all liberties at this point? Well, the answer is no. You are still free to pray. You are free to study. You are free to exercise. You are free to learn new things. You are free to do so many other things. When you think of your liberties, how are you using them to prepare yourself for the situation beyond your confinement? Other people are going to come out of lockdown, fitter, possibly not needing to go to the gym, you know, and they just know how to exercise as most are learning. Others would be wiser, they would have learned new skills, learned new things. Still, from the same liberties, others will come more fatter, more uh, resolute potato couches. They will come out worse off. But Joseph did not allow that to restrict him. Also, Joseph did not allow his restrictive personal circumstances to stop him from helping others with their dreams. He was involved, like Paul was saying, I'm in prison, but I want you to be encouraged. I want you to live out your dream. Joseph was still involved with interpreting others' dreams, helping them through, maybe mentor someone, maybe encourage someone, despite things not working out for you. Even if it meant that the next person will, in the interim, be better than him, the, 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 the cup bearer was going into, back into better conditions, but Joseph did not think, going to be better than me now. I'm not helping him. I'm not making him rich. No, not at my expense. He was still purposefully thinking about others. So I want to encourage you and I to be proactively involved in thinking how we as individuals and collectively can help others achieve their dreams during this lockdown and beyond, even if it means we are still worse off ourselves. 
Next, Joseph kept a vibrant relationship with God. He was always in God's presence. God's glory was in his heart. When Potiphar's wife wanted him to sleep with, he says, how can I do such an evil thing in, before my God in, my, in his eyes? And so that means people who are tuned to the Spirit of God are going to prove not only purposeful, but they are going to be a necessity. I'll come to that just now. When Joseph was in prison, he allowed himself to grow in God, to grow in purpose, to grow in his gifts, to grow in his calling. He maintained personal purity. He didn't give himself to sexual immorality, to pornography, to things that are defiling him. He didn't sleep with that woman. He maintained a forgiving heart. Other people over this time will be thinking through the worst things that other people have done to you and you'll be thinking, I'll deal with them, I'll deal with them. Don't deal with them, deal with your heart. Forgive them because that expands your heart for greater purposes. And here's how it all climaxes. Because he had a forgiving heart, because he, he practiced purity, because he was a man of purpose, because he was always also involved with other people. The Bible says, when the opportunity came, Joseph was ready. I want you to listen to what Pharaoh said after, after, they, uh, after Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream. This is what, and, and he gives Pharaoh counsel. He says, find a man full of wisdom, a man of purpose, a man who has vision, a man who sees the future, a man who does not only live for himself, but in his own purpose can carry the whole of Egypt and the other nations that are struggling. Listen to Pharaoh's words. In Genesis 41, verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of wisdom, of understanding, the spirit of power, of love, and sound mind, the spirit of vision and clarity, the spirit of God. Can we find amongst us a man with the spirit of purpose, a man led by the spirit of God? I want us to pack it here for this week. But pack it on that question. If the nation was to look for a man of vision, a man of purpose, a man of clarity, a man of God's spirit amongst us, will they find one amongst us? Will it be you? Will it be me? Will it be your neighbor? I want to pray. This week, let's pray that God may declutter our hearts that are cluttered with temporal things, declutter them that we are filled with purpose. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, he says, God has put eternity in our hearts. May we remove the clutter and find the jewel of purpose again.
find eternity in our hearts. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we pray, we thank you that our hearts have heard your word and your word is at work right now to declutter our hearts, to make us, even as Moses writes, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, that purity may fill our hearts, we pray with David this morning, Lord, as he says, creating me a clean heart and renew in me a steadfast spirit that I may live a purposeful life. In Jesus' name, amen. And I want to remind you who has not received Jesus Christ, all you have to do is believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confessed in your heart, Jesus is Lord. So wherever you are, just tell them, Jesus, I give my life to you. Be blessed. We'll finish off next week. Have a wonderful week ahead in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.